1: so there are two things i wanted to talk about today um and i guess and they're not related but we'll just talk about both of them and and one of them is is uh you know this concept of coexisting and we hear every time there's a terrorist attack, like the one that happened in Manchester a few days ago, uh, we hear that you know you've got we have to find a way to coexist. Coexist. We see the bumper sticker about coexisting and uniting. And I wrote something today about about um, Katy Perry and you know the, the noted philosopher Katy Perry and her um, uh, opinion, which she stated on a on a interview uh, on the radio, that the answer is for there to be no borders and no barriers, and for us all to just coexist. Together, except for her, of course, because she's um, up in her Beverly Hills fortified mansion. So she, not her, but the rest of us should coexist. But coexisting is not the answer. And I want to talk about why that is. Um, why coexist? It's not about coexisting. Coexisting is not the solution. It's not possible, but it's also not the solution. And we'll talk about that. But first, there was an article that I wrote um, on Monday or was it tu- on Tuesday and it was called, uh, you might not want to go to heaven and it's provoked a uh, very interesting sc- discussion and I, I can't possibly read all the emails people have sent in response. Um, but a number of the ones that I have read, I thought were quite thoughtful actually. And I'm putting aside the emails from the typical trolls telling me that, uh, you know, if I'm going to be in heaven, they'd rather be in hell and that sort of thing. um, which is not the kind of thing that you should go around saying, by the way. But putting that aside, a lot of thoughtful emails. There's one point that came up in a lot of these emails. And I'm talking about critical. You know, there were a lot of critical email, people criticizing my point. And there's one point that came up in much of the criticism of my argument that I want to address here because I really want people to understand my, my point. And the, the whole crux of, if you didn't read it, and I would ask that you go read it, but the crux of my piece, you might not want to go to heaven, something that I wrote as I explain, because I've been thinking about it more uh, after my, uh, my wife's grandfather died last week and she was very close with him. And uh, we you know, were able to go to the hospital before he died and the kids saw him one last time. And there's just been a lot of discussion in the house with the kids and with each other about death and heaven and, and what that what that's all about. And so it's been on my mind for that reason. And it just occurred to me that many of us as Christians, well, we would all say we want to go to heaven. We would take it as a given that we want to go. You know, anyone who believes in heaven wants to go there. But it occurs to me that a great many of us who say we want to go to heaven don't actually want to go. Uh, at least we don't want to go to the heaven that exists. We've concocted in our head this idea of a heaven where uh, that that very much mirrors the joys and pleasures that we find on earth. And so we imagine a heaven where we, we go up there and we can eat all the food we want and you, we can participate in all kinds of recreational activities and it's just a lot of fun and it's like being at a vacation resort and all of the pleasures as we imagine them are self-centered just like the pleasures we have here on earth and there's nothing wrong with uh with with pleasure uh most of the time uh, there is for the most there is There are plenty of pleasures that exist on earth and there's nothing wrong with them in principle, but this is where happiness, but in heaven. And I'm not saying exactly and what we're going to do there and what it's all going to resemble precisely. I can't give you the exact illustration of heaven. Nobody can. God chose not to give us that. So it, there's a lot of mystery to it. But what we do know for sure is that heaven, in, in heaven, the whole joy of heaven is being in, united with God. That's the joy of heaven, to be united with God. And all of our joy, all of the pleasure, all of the eternal joy and pleasure and happiness of heaven comes from God, from our union with God. That's what it is. And the problem, I think, is that many of us as Christians, we may believe in God, We may be generally good or okay people, but we don't really desire God. We don't desire heaven. And almost everything that brings us happiness in life, the happiness that we pursue, the pleasures that we pursue are all self-centered. They have nothing to do with God. And so when we say we want to go to heaven, what we mean is pleasure happiness for our own sake. We don't mean that we have this deep, insatiable longing to rest in the arms of the Almighty. Because that's what it means to want heaven, because that's what heaven is. And most of us do not have that longing, if we're being honest about it. And I know that that is a difficult thing to confront, and it's a difficult thing to be honest about. But most of us, that's not what we want and one of the ways that we know we don't want it is that the few activities on earth that are actually centered entirely around god those are these precise activities that most christians find dull and boring and uninteresting and we try with all our might to avoid them Uh, going to church praying reading scripture these are the things that are most directly and explicitly and centrally about God. And these are precisely exactly the things that we don't like to do. But we say, oh, well, we like to t- t- you know, go for a hike or spend time with our family. And that's how we find God. And that's great because God is in all of those things. But you can also enjoy them without thinking about God at all. Atheists can enjoy those things. Because they are in and of themselves very easily relaxing, entertaining, recreational. So if that is the only way that we can enjoy God when he comes packaged with entertainment, then I would say that really, we don't enjoy God. We enjoy the entertainment. Um, But here's the problem. Many people, as I wrote this, accused me of suggesting that all earthly pleasure is evil. And that there will be nothing resembling these pleasures in the afterlife. And that's not what I meant to say. And having gone back to reread what I wrote, I I maintain that it's not at all what I did say. My point about our pleasure on earth and how they interfere with our pursuit of heaven is threefold. And and I'm going to leave aside those pleasures that are intrinsically spiritual hindrances, although I know we can't all agree on that, but Uh, Certainly any reasonable Christian should be able to agree on that. So here's my point about the pleasures that we have on earth and where the problems come in. Number one, as I said, our pleasure tends to be entirely self-centered. It's difficult to indulge in something pleasurable in a way that is not self-centered. It's difficult to have a humble and obedient heart as we enjoy something recreational because we've trained ourselves to think This is me time. This is what I want. This is all about bringing me personal happiness. How many times we say, this is me time. This is me time. All of our happiness is this is me time. There's not going to be any me time in heaven. Because it's not about, it's not going to be about us. David Foster Wallace, who was not a Christian, wrote a hilarious and also very sad and poignant essay about cruise ships. Famous essay called uh, A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again. And he talks about how we've been conditioned to believe that we deserve to be pampered, you know, to pamper ourselves, to escape, right? And you've got this entire, you've got all these industries that are built on kind of getting us to believe this. And the attitude just breeds more selfishness within us so that before long, even a pleasure that is not intrinsically sinful becomes sinful because of how we've approached it. This part is me talking, not walls. It's our attitude towards our own pleasure that can be dangerous. Number two, we are surrounded by way too much pleasure. Um, I find it especially funny when people talk about their need for escape, you know, for escapism. Considering we spend like 75% of our day escaping from reality. Everywhere we turn, we're being urged to indulge ourselves some more in something else, some more escapism. And people still say, I just need to, you need to escape sometimes. Escape from what? Escape from escaping? And unfortunately, the idea of uh, fasting, of sacrifice, of uh, self mortification, that is, you know, sometimes forgoing pleasure and luxury and offering our discomfort as a sacrifice to God. These ideas, that, that's all gone completely out of fashion in the Christian world. So we carry on fattened and pampered and our souls kind of atrophy within us. Number three, um, we, the other thing about pleasure is we, we must still be able to find pleasure and joy in things that are only about God. And so, the, and like I said, this is the main point. And what I mean is that if we can only quote unquote find God in things that coincidentally also happen to be entertaining and relaxing, walks on the beach, a night out with friends, etc and we're flat out unable to enjoy things that are totally and explicitly centered around God, church, prayer, scripture, that should tell us that we really just enjoy those entertaining and relaxing things because they're entertaining and relaxing and God is really irrelevant to it. God is in those things, but if we can only enjoy God when he comes accompanied with a nice view or fun conversation or good food or whatever, then I would say we don't really enjoy God at all. We just enjoy the view and the conversation and the food. Look, I don't know exactly what the afterlife will look like or consist of, and neither do you, but I do know... That the joy of eternal life will be found in our union with God and to take joy in God rather than to take joy only in entertainment, in sort of God-themed entertainment or an entertainment sprinkled with God, but to take joy in God requires spiritual conditioning. It does not come easy to most of us. It doesn't come easily to me. Because we are so conditioned to be self-centered, and to take to outside of ourselves for its own sake and not ours is not a is not something that comes naturally to us. It used to come naturally to us before the fall of man, but not anymore because we are sinful creatures. All right, so that is uh, so that's that. Let's just you know put that to the side, table that. Second thing. And these things, I guess, are only related in that they're topics I wrote about uh, this week. So the second thing is, um, is uh, what was the second thing? Coexisting. There we go. So here's the thing. I, I think you have, uh, you have, of course, two competing worldviews here. And on one hand, you have Christians like myself who would say that there is evil in the world there is uh, falsehood there are there is um, uh, hatred there is violence there is you know victimization there there's depravity and decadence and all kinds of her- horrible things happen in the world And we would say that these things will always happen they, they they will always happen. We are always going to live in a fallen broken world with fallen broken, people and there's always going to be evil in the world and a lot of it until the end of time when christ comes back at which point in the afterlife in the next world uh those of us who are rewarded with eternal life will will live in a, in a world free of all these things but that's not going to happen in this life in this world in this mortal uh physical world right so we understand that, and uh, it means it doesn't mean that you give in to evil or you uh, just merely accept it. Far from it, you fight back against it because that's what we're called to do. You defend your you def, you dis- defend yourself from it because you know that it is inevitable, but you also fight against it because that's what you're called to do, and because that is justice. But then you have the other point of view. That says, um, well, there is no God. There is no afterlife. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no new world after this one. None of that's true. And so we only have this world and this is all we have. And that's all there's going to be. And I think if you fall into that category, now, now we kind of go into subgroups here. Um, But if you fall into that category, you can go to one of two ways. And one, I I think, is the more honest, uh, intellectually honest, uh, consistent way. And that is to become just sort of a nihilist. And to say, yeah, the world's a horrible place. Uh, There's pain and there's suffering. There's no reason for any of it. It won't lead to anything. Uh, Everything is just random and utterly pointless and eventually we're going to die and we're going to decay into nothingness and we will be no more and we will have no consciousness whatsoever and that's it and nothing's ever going to get better this is just the world and it'll be here for you know just it's a blip on the on the screen it's like it's like dust on like a speck of dust on your computer screen and eventually the hand of time will just wipe it away and that will be it and that's all and in the meantime you know just find as much pleasure as you can because that's the only reason to really live uh, or find nopes walk along like a zombie that's the nihilistic view Um, which as I said does follow logically from the starting point that there is no God there is no heaven there is no hell there is no point to anything there is no soul so you have that but then you have the illogic the, the, the thing that does not follow logically from that starting point and that's the utopian mentality. And it's entirely... It's not grounded in... Uh, not, only, not only is it not grounded in reality, but it's not even grounded in the reality that these people have set up, which is a realistic, God-free uh, reality. And in this reality, you have people who who, yeah, they believe that we're here for no reason and nothing means anything, but they cannot bring themselves to explore what that really means and to accept what that really means and so they become utopianists and they say that look, things have to get better eventually and you know we'll find a way to work through it because really everything is the same in the end we're all exactly the same, there is no good there is no evil uh, there is no right, there is no wrong so the, as soon as we can all realize that, that nothing matters and all of our differences are moot uh, then we can live in a utopia, a utopia uh, where everybody is just sort of existing and uh, and getting along, I guess. And, and and so we'll lock arms in that way and march into obliteration together. We will march into nothingness together, locked arms and uh, singing songs. And it's really kind of creepy, but that's that's the utopian view. And it is from this utopian view that you have coexist. That we all have to coexist. We have to find a way to coexist. But it's just never going to happen. It can't happen. Uh, And the reason that it can't happen is because, well, first of all, we could look at, there's a a, a trial scientific method where people have been wanting a utopia forever and it's never happened. And so I think we can just look at history and look at evidence and say that human beings are not capable of that right now. Well, human beings aren't capable of that at all. But it's also true. We, we know that there is good and evil. And good and evil cannot coexist. Not only can't they coexist... But that is not even an ideal that we should be striving for, even if it were possible. Goodness should not strive to coexist alongside evil, but to destroy evil, to destroy it. And no, that doesn't always mean destroy although it can mean that. Um, The world decided just to go with the only historical example that anyone ever uses because it's the only historical event that I think anyone knows about. Um, the world decided that it, that it uh, can't coexist with Nazism. And so the, the allies got together and they killed all the Nazis. And But we remember, if you, if you look at the history of World War II, there was a period of time when Western Europe did try to coexist with Nazism and they told themselves that they could coexist with it and they could cooperate. And even if they despised what Nazism stood for and they didn't like Hitler because they thought he was kind of a maniac, um, they said, we can find a way to all get along, but it didn't work, did it? Because evil will always try to consume and destroy what is good. And so eventually what is good must come to the realization that it has to or those who stand for what is good, must come to the realization that it has to destroy evil. And in that case, destroying evil meant, yes, destroying people too. The people who are carrying the banner of evil. In order to defend what is good, and to assert what is just and what is right, those people needed to be destroyed. In a just manner, so it's not that we're like rounding up civilians and executing them because then we become the evil, but meeting the meeting the evil on the battlefield and destroying it and there are other ways to try to destroy evil it's not always physical. there's the spiritual battle, the battle of prayer, the you know the the the, the, the war that goes on for souls, where again we're trying to destroy evil, we want evil destroyed through through the great the grace of God. Uh, and hopefully in many cases that doesn't involve anyone dying. but it's still the same evil must be destroyed. The two cannot exist together. That's the whole point. That's why we've had all of this strife in the world. It's not because we have failed to all exist together and that evil has failed to exist with good but because they cannot exist together. It's like it's like lighting a match. On a pile of dry wood, and saying, "Well, you know, the fire and the wood just have to find a way to coexist. They're not going to coexist. The fire is going to consume the dry wood and turn it into ash." And I think in this analogy, the the, the fire is really the goodness. We hear that God is is uh, is a fire, is a blazing, cleansing fire, consumes what is evil consumes destroys it eventually what is evil cannot withstand uh it's powerless to withstand it and and maybe evil is is more um analogous the better analogy would be like saying that um you know a a, a some sort of creature has to find a way to coexist with the parasites that are eating it inside, alive inside they're not going to coexist the the, the the parasite feeds on its host, and so evil kind of does the same with goodness and, and with, you know with the world. It feeds on it as a parasitic, and that's what evil is. It's a parasitic infestation in the world. and it must be, we must root it out and destroy it. There is no existing. Thank God, there is no coexisting. Thank God there's an actual war between good and evil. And that good will eventually win. And so that should be our rallying cry and our bumper sticker. Not coexist, but goodness wins. That should be it. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next time. A cruce salus. Godspeed, everybody.